This morning we continue in the book of Isaiah. We have gone through chapter 47 and touched on 48 a little bit last week. And uh, to introduce, our, our verse of introduction is going to be found in Romans chapter 10 verse 21. And I will read that for us. Romans 10.21 Remember, we said that Israel had a hearing problem. Romans 10.21 tells us, But as for Israel, He says, and this is quoted from Isaiah, He says, All the day long I have stretched out My hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. We read in the Old Covenant time and time again about their disobedience, their obstinance. God calls them stiff-necked a lot of times. And um, I will have, let's see, beginning with Bud this morning. If you'll read for us Romans 2, 23 and 24. And then, Mike, if you look up for us, Ezekiel 36, 22 through 29. Now, before those are read, I wanted to point out to you that in Isaiah 49, 40, um, get to Isaiah. In Isaiah 48, which we're looking at this morning, we have so many references the listening or hearing, uh, we have that in verse 1 where he says, Hear this, O house of Jacob. We have in verse 6, You have heard. We have in verse 8, You have not heard. And then also references to hearing is found are found in verse, verses 12, 14, 15, and 16. So in your notes here, it says, In this chapter, Yahweh turns His attention from Babylon back to His own people. And it appears that Israel has become dull of hearing, as it is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 5. And the, the recipients of the letter of the Hebrews, the recipients in the book of Hebrews, had become dull of hearing, even though by now they should be teachers. They should be mature in the faith. And this is causing problems in their witness before God. Let's have Romans 2, 23 and 24 read for us. I'll give that again, chapter 2. Yeah, Romans 2, verses 23 and 24. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. All right. And I meant to have 48, 1 through 3 read. So Dana, if you will read for us Isaiah 48, 1 through 3. Remember the verses that Bud has just read to us. Keep that in mind as we have Isaiah 48, 1 through 3 read. 
Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are named Israel, and who came forth from the loins of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord, and invoke the God of Israel, but not in truth nor in righteousness. For they call themselves after the holy city, and lean on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. I declared the former things long ago, and they went forth from my mouth, and I proclaimed them. Suddenly I acted, and they came to pass. Okay. And um, so what I want to concentrate on was that last phrase in Isaiah 48, 1. They did all of these things, but not in truth nor in righteousness, which means they're taking God's name in vain, as was mentioned in the passage in Romans that we read. They certainly weren't doing anything to promote the name of Jehovah or Yahweh. They were stiff-necked. All right. Now, so at the present time, they were blaspheming God's name. They were taking His name in vain. And so let's have Ezekiel. Things are going to get better, though, because better days are coming because they're going to have the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36, 22. To 29? To 29, right. Okay. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, <coughs> it, is not for, <coughs> it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. <coughs> I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all, and all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to work to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people and I will be your God. Moreover, I will save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the grain and multiply it, and I will not bring a famine on you. Better things are ahead right now. Israel was stiff-necked, obstinate, contrary. But God says, The day is coming where you will no longer profane my holy name, but that you will glorify my holy name. So, Israel, do not be discouraged. Let's repent and live the way you're supposed to live. Um, you have profaned my name long enough. But the days are coming. I will give you my spirit. I will sprinkle clean water on you. Okay. So the bottom line here is in your notes, God has been wearied by all their talk that has not been backed up by their walk. They're all talk and no walk. They have a great pedigree. They swear by the name of the Lord. They invoke the God of Israel. 
but not in truth nor in righteousness. They call themselves after the holy city and lean on the God of Israel. But their walk doesn't equal their talk. God has taken them to be their people. But they are taking God's name in vain. They care nothing about truth or righteousness or God's name. And we read in Romans 2, 23 and 24 that they blaspheme God's name among the Gentiles. But we see later in Ezekiel that Mike has just read to us that better days lie ahead. And God and Jesus tells His disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. So that's one thing that we should pray for the church, that the church would hallow God's holy name. Now His name would be His reputation also. I think I've gotten listed in there Westminster Larger Catechism question 21 and 22. And the Larger Catechism question 21, the question is, what is required in the Third Commandment? And the Third Commandment is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, that's got to be shorter Question 21 in the Westminster Larger is, did man continue in that estate wherein God had first created him? Yeah, I've messed up there. But anyway, whatever catechism that is, it is the larger one. Yeah, you can find it. Let us know and we'll make that correction. But whatever required, it says, what is required in the third commandment? And it says, a holy and holy profession and answerable conversation or conduct. So you have to also have profession, you profess God's name, and you have a holy conduct or conversation, the old word for conduct. So you have a profession and you have a walk. And the next question, what are these sins forbidden in the third commandment? And one of the th- part of the answer is making profession of religion in hypocrisy. Yes, so, one twelve instead of twenty one. Okay. And so one thirteen. All right, one twelve and one thirteen. You want to correct that? Sins are sins are. That's the larger. Yeah. The shorter only has 107 questions. That has to be the larger. All right. Are any questions about taking God's name in vain? It's more than just saying the word God in a derogatory way. It can be your your conduct or lack of holy conduct also. All right, verses 3 through 8. Henry, you want to read that for us? I guess that would be... uh, Yeah, let's make it 3 through 8. Isaiah 48, 3 through 8. I foretold the former things long ago, the mouth did not stand that I made the mouth. Then suddenly I acted, and they came to pass. For I knew how stubborn you were, your neck muscles were iron, your forehead was 
From now on, I will tell you of new things, of hidden things unknown to you. They are created now and not long ago. You have not heard them before today, so you cannot say, Yes, I knew of them. You have neither heard nor understood, from all your ears have not been opened. Well do I know your house and church you are. You were called a rebel from birth. Not too good of an assessment. And, um, Avonlea, you know, um, even, uh, if you look up for us, um, Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 through 9. And I'll tell you when to read that. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9. Alright, in these verses that Henry has just read to us, we see the obvious reason that God declares beforehand what comes to pass. Or at least this is one obvious reason. It is so that they will not say, and this is quoted out of the Bible. I don't know which version this is, but my idol has done them and my carved image and my molded image have commanded them. In other words, these works of men's hands, these idols that they have created. If God didn't tell them beforehand that these things were going to come to pass, these people could claim, well, my idol here told me that. And of course, they would be giving glory to the idol instead, yes? Uh, beforehand. God declares beforehand what comes to pass so that they will not be able to say that their idol had told them. Alright, this is the same reason He gives to Babylon. He also tells them not to declare that they're hearing new things, but um, that they have already heard new things because God is revealing these things to them now. So he tells them the same things. They're no better than Babylon. They're them the same things he told Babylon. There's no difference, really, in the ethical character of the Babylonians and the Jews here. Um, and God knows that. He knew that from the beginning. Let's read Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9. God, in verses 7 through 8, it says, I'm the one that makes the distinction. You've made no distinction between you and the pagan nations around you. I'm the one that makes the distinction. I'm the one who decided to call you. And verse 9 reveals to us the only reason He hadn't thrown them away. He says, I keep my covenant and loving kindness, my covenant and hesed to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, they didn't love him and keep his commandments, but God is faithful to his promises he gave to Abraham. And so we see that for hundreds of years now, he has set his love upon them. 
openly. And they are still stiff-necked and obstinate. And God has to talk to them the same way He talks to the Babylonians. <coughs> he tells them, I am God and there is no other. That's what He says to the Babylonians. I foreordain whatever comes to pass. And He still has to say that to His disobedient and obstinate people. They're no better than the pagans around them, even though for some mysterious reason God has set His love upon them. So in verse 9 here, in our um, Isaiah 48, He says, For the sake of My name I delay My wrath, and for My praise I restrain it for you in order not to cut you off. He's not going to deal with them in justice. He's going to deal with them in mercy. So, He has not destroyed them. The reason He hadn't destroyed them, and you notice there, is for His name's sake. It's not because they don't deserve destruction. It is for His name's sake. And that's the way it was from the very beginning. Remember when Moses was up on the mountain? Um, receiving the law from Yahweh. He, he doesn't even get down the mountain before they've made an idol and they worshipped it. They sat down to eat and drink and worship and rose up to have a big sex party. And God was going to destroy them. Moses intercedes and the bottom line of Moses' prayer is, God, remember your name. Remember your promises to Abraham. You don't want the nations making fun of you for destroying your people. And so solely for God's name's sake did He not destroy the people when they worshipped the golden calf. And it's the same, same here in Isaiah. He says, for, your name, for my name's sake, I do not destroy you. Okay, um, on the second row, we'll start over here with Elaine. And if you'll read the next two verses for us, Elaine, 10 and 11, 12 and 13, no, 10 and 11, yeah. Verses 10 and 11, Isaiah 48. And behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. How should... My name be profaned. My glory will not give to another. I will not give to another. Okay. So in your notes, he deals with them on the basis of grace, not justice. God's patience is, of course, unmerited in verse 9. It's only for his name's sake he doesn't destroy them. It is constructive in verse 10. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you. And the furnace of affliction. So um, God sends affliction upon them to uh, remove the dross. And God has one problem. There is nothing good to remove the dross from. There's nothing good in them. They can't be refined as silver. There's no silver or gold in them. 
So the affliction hasn't done any good because there's nothing for God to work with. And he's resolute. Verse 11, for my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. <clears throat> for how can my name be proclaimed, profaned, and my glory I will not give to another. So he's, God is not giving up on them, as we read in Ezekiel 36. Better days are coming when God will be glorified. Let me stop here. I've been lecturing and nobody's been saying anything. Anybody have any comments on anything so far? It's just interesting how God often stacks lessons. Sometimes Sunday school flows into church, flows into Sunday evening, etc. Yesterday at the Easley Men's Prayer Breakfast, the study or the, the question of the day, how will others know we are Christians? And part of that conversation was keeping of the Ten Commandments. And there are some very obvious things. You know, there's a lot of keeping of the Ten Commandments that's inward, but there's also a lot that's outward. And of course, Sunday observance is one of those things that uh, would be very obvious to those looking into our lifestyles. Yeah. So, uh, it's just interesting how this was flowing right into yesterday morning. Yep. You won't find that answer from many Christians. By obeying God, keeping the Ten Commandments. That's not how we glorify God. We we have a hoot nanny on Sunday morning. That's how we glorify God. Yeah. The dropping down to the children's catechism, you know, how can we glorify God by loving Him and keeping His commandments? Yeah. We all need that yeah. reminder. Yeah. We'll talk about obedience. I mean, the gospel has been dumbed down to salvation and escape hell. Yeah. And that's what they focus on. Yeah, focus on God's grace and that is just... And obedience. Yeah. Good. All right, Kim. Um, verses fourteen and fifteen for us there. Uh, let's see, uh, twelve through fifteen. Okay. Yeah, twelve through fifteen. Hear me, O Jacob and Israel. My call. I am. I am the first, and I am the last. Surely my hand hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I call them, they stand up together. All you assemble yourselves and hear, which among them hath declared these things? The Lord hath loved him, he will do his will in battle, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken it, and I have called him, I have brought him, and his way shall prosper. In verse 14 to 15, he commands his people to assemble themselves and listen. So in the imperative, assemble yourselves and listen. He has given them a good reason to listen in the prior two verses. He is all sovereign. He is, he is all sovereign. He is self-existent. And He is creator. He is the all sovereign, self-existent creator. Okay. Uh, he speaks, he brings it to pass. <clears throat> and in verse <clears throat> 12, he says, right, let's turn to Revelation 1.17. He says in verse 12, I am He. I am the first 
and I am also the last. Give me enough time here and I will mess up Charles' sermon this morning. Getting into Revelation. He's not here. Yeah, he, he won't know. Speaking of things dovetailing with each other. <laughs> yeah. Revelation 1.17. The Apostle John is speaking. It says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. So Jesus is claiming deity there, just like Jehovah God or Yahweh, um, just like Yahweh has proclaimed to the people of Israel in Isaiah's day, I am the first and the last. Jesus claims in the New Covenant times to the Apostle John very clearly, I am the first and the last. He is self-existent and eternal. Okay, I'm going to look at a couple of things here in Isaiah 48 that really slowed me down in my preparation today. Alright, he tells him in verse 14, Assemble all of you and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him and will carry out his good pleasure on Babylon. The Lord loves Cyrus. Cyrus is the one he's called. Does that strike you kind of funny? That the Lord loves a perfectly pagan king? I looked up every translation. I looked in the Hebrew, and it says God loves him. The everyday, normal, common word for love is used. Okay? He didn't say that about Pharaoh. Yeah. No, he didn't. Yeah. How do you, how do you account for that? Most commentators don't even mention it. <laughs> they just say he loves Cyrus. They don't say like you. Believe it or not, Matthew Henry is the only one I could find any kind of reason for. I will give you his take on this. Matthew Henry says God made him, that is Cyrus, an instrument in the redemption of His people and therein a type of great Redeemer, God's beloved Son in whom He was well pleased. A type of God's great Redeemer who is God's beloved Son in whom He was well pleased. So it's what Matthew Henry is saying is because He's a type of Christ in this situation. That God, that God loves Him. That's, that's the best I could find. <laughs> you so want to say something? You, you say that Cyrus is an unbelieving pagan. Yeah. Is that... Yeah, and I, I say that because... He, we don't ever see him worshiping God. He does yeah. God's will, but he he let people go to worship their gods in all the other countries too. He wanted to make sure all the gods were his friends. 
So there's no indication that because he let the people go that he was a, um, an, elect, an elect person. So that kind of slowed me down when I came to that. I had to spend some time on that. Going back to 45.1, thus saith the Lord unto Cyrus his anointed in the footnote on that was because Cyrus should execute the office of a deliverer, which is the same thing that Matthew Henry was saying. Uh, God called him his anointed for the time. You know what the Hebrew word for anointed is there? Now, I didn't mention this on that day. Messiah. Mm-hmm. He is God's Messiah. He is the anointed one. Yeah. That's another good reason. Okay. <clears throat> so, God's intent is to make sure, this is back in your notes, to make sure that they realize that this is all according to God's unchangeable plan. And Laura, I'll have you look up Ephesians 1.11 and 3.11. I'll tell you one to read. Ephesians 1.11 and 3.11. So this obviously is God's unchangeable plan. So we have learned in these verses that God is all-sovereign, self-existent, the Creator, and He has an eternal plan. This is the unchangeable plan triune God as revealed in the Scriptures. God never changes. Even when Jesus, even when the the Son took on human flesh, even in the Incarnation, God didn't change. There's a Creator, unchanging Creator, and there's a creature. He never changes. He's self-existent, and His plan never changes either. He doesn't change. His plan doesn't change. Ephesians 1.11. Okay, 1.11. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For He chose us in advance, and He makes everything work out according to His plan. He makes everything work out according to His plan. And then 3.11. 3.11. This was His eternal plan which He carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. His eternal plan. God is all sovereign and He has an eternal plan. Alright, Yahweh, in your notes, goes on to tell them of the coming of Christ along with the outpouring of His Holy Spirit in verse 16. It says, Come near to Me. Listen to this. For from the first I have not spoken in secret. From this time it took place. I was I was there. And now the Lord God has sent me and His Spirit. The Lord God has sent me and His Spirit. Does anybody have a new King James in here? Anyway, it caused me to slow down. You have New King James. Okay, read read uh, verse sixteen, forty-eight, sixteen, and y'all follow along in your own translation. Come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. 
from the time that it was I was there. And now the Lord God and His Spirit have sent me. The Lord God and His Spirit has sent me. Now, we know, we know a little bit of theology here. We know that God sends the Son and we know also that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and He proceeds from the Son. We say that in our Nicene Creed. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. But here we say in the New King James that the Spirit has sent the Son. And I thought, that sounds heretical, but then you've got to realize that the Virgin Mary was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in a way, the Spirit does send the Son. But in our orthodox view of the Trinity, the Lord God sends Jesus and He sends His Spirit. So if you're reading the King James or New King James, don't let that throw you. We remember now in the Trinity, and we're talking about here the economic Trinity. In the ontological Trinity, now the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all exhaustively God. And in the economic Trinity, which is for salvation, the Father beget, uh, has begotten, who has begotten the Son from all eternity, sends him into the world. And then, after the Son does this work, both the Father and the Son send the Spirit. Everybody understand that fully? <laughs> Everybody have a full understanding of the Trinity now? 100%. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we got to realize all three persons from the Trinity are from eternity, but Jesus voluntarily submits himself to the Father when the time for redemption comes, and then after he accomplishes his redemptive work and returns to the right hand of God, he sends the Spirit along with the Father. Okay, it is that is as far as we will get today. Anybody have any questions or wanting to add to anything that I've said? Or take away from anything I've said? So in verse 16, um, come near to me. It's talking about Jesus. Yeah. Okay. At least that's the way the translators think because it's got me capitalized. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's the only thing that would make any sense. All right, Mike, will you close us in prayer, please? Our Heavenly Father, we 